We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. After a little bit of a break, Filato made his way back to New Jersey to visit his niece and his brother and his family. A little fun family time. I actually got a chance to get a quick lunch with Nick. We were both pretty busy on that day, but we did get a chance to meet up. And I got to see him in person. And listen, this man ate a meal that wasn't as healthy as he thought it was. I didn't want to break it to him until after he ate the meal because then I didn't want him to be like, oh, we got to go to a new place because he loved it. He walked in. He loved the place, loved the concept of the place. It's essentially a Chipotle style for Mediterranean food, so kind of like a kava. If you guys have had kava in New York City, I consider it a worse version of kava. To be completely honest, the ingredients aren't as fresh, but there are a lot more options too. But I feel like Nick overrated the healthiness of this, and he might have had himself his first bad meal since 2003. Since 2003, yeah, you're right, man. I mean, the mixture of chickpeas and kale, it's an insanely fattening meal for, for <laughs> one Nick Filato. Yeah, but did, what sauces did you go? I think I went with light tahini. Yeah, of course you went with light tahini. Well, listen, he found a way around it again. He escaped another unhealthy meal. I'll get him soon, though. I'll get him <laughs> soon. I don't know what it is. Wings, pizza, something. I will get this man to eat an unhealthy meal. But today we're talking about the Giants, and there's some things we want to catch up on before diving into a draft profile for a player that Nick did recently and then I took a look at and I actually really like. And now I think he could be a pretty good value based on the fact that he potentially, uh, well, that he is undergoing surgery and that could cause him to drop in the draft into a nice spot for the Giants to take a potential player I think fits what they want to do on defense. So we're going to do a draft profile for Andrew Booth, the corner out of Clemson. But first, we want to catch up on some Giants news and talk a little bit about a pro day today that was catching steam today being Wednesday. Uh, obviously, it's April now, or it's not April yet. It's April tomorrow, and that means draft season, the final run. So we plan to do a lot of these draft profiles coming up. We're going to have some guests on as well to break down positions. Um, we obviously had Mark Schofield on last week to talk about the quarterbacks. So if you missed that, take a look and make sure you get that going. And you listen to that. But let's start with some Giants news. We'll start with some of the signings. The first one being, or at least from chronological order, I believe the first one was Justin Ellis, the defensive tackle, nose tackle, out of uh, uh, formerly playing with Wink Martindale, now going to kind of fill that Danny Shelton role for the Giants, in addition to kind of just providing some depth on the interior for them. What do you make of this move? Yeah, man, Justin Ellis, to me, this is just somebody to replace Danny Shelton's snaps. The Giants brought in Danny Shelton to kind of help pick up the pieces left behind when Dalvin Tomlinson signed a two-year deal with the Minnesota Vikings. And Shelton was just terrible. He he did not fulfill any type of role in Patrick Graham's scheme. So now they find another 
guy who's about six foot two plays with low leverage, 334 pounds, not a dynamic pass rusher. He's a solid run defender, but more importantly, he just knows Wink Martindale system knows what Wink Martindale wants to do the philosophy and has spent several years in that system. So that's mainly what he is. I don't expect him to probably even play as many snaps as he did last year, which was 381. This guy has one sack in his career. So I wouldn't expect him to do much other than being a penetrator on twists and things of that nature, because he can explode off the ball and, you know, head towards a guard shoulder and lower it and just knock him off balance to allow a looper like Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, or Aziz Ojolari to kind of loop in and crash the pocket. I think that's going to be his role with the Giants, not anything that's going to be too expansive, but just somebody to kind of fill out the roster in a savvy bet. Yeah, former fourth-round pick of the Raiders, actually, back in 2014. I like that he has experience within this defensive system that Wink Martindale's bringing over. I like that he's a body. I like that he can do some of the things that they need on this. Like you need a guy like this to come in. That's why we got so excited last year about the potential for a value play out of Danny Shelton. Both Nick and I kind of fell for the Danny Shelton trap. He had some pretty solid, I would say, film uh, from the season before, especially with the Lions. And we thought, you know, this guy can kind of do what he's going to be asked to do within the Patrick Graham defense and not provide too much of a drop off from Dalvin Thompson. Boy, were we wrong. I mean, it was night and day <laughs> drop off and in, in what Shelton put on tape and eventually Shelton lost most of his role with the Giants. We hope something will be different when it comes to Justin Ellis. And I think it's possible that he can do a better job for the Giants, former Louisiana Tech defensive tackle kind of, you know, came into the NFL as a one of those kind of um, I would say like leverage type of defensive tackles like a very different player than Danny Shelton he's 6-1 kind of built in that same Dalvin Tomlinson most mold 6-1 330 put up 25 bench press reps back at the combine tough strong player I think he'll have more success within this defense but again like I said when it comes to the last signing and I do apologize for any sounds you'll hear from slack or that you're on deck I'm in the middle of multiple fantasy baseball drafts for work and a lot of work stuff coming in, so we'll see what we can do here, Nick. But look, Justin Ellis, not someone I'm going to get too excited about, Nick, but definitely uh, a good depth signing. And once again, trench-based signing. You want to keep adding competition and talent to the trenches. Yeah, absolutely, do. And I don't think the Giants are done. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they invest a day three pick into the defensive line room with Leonard Williams only having one more year on his contract after this year. And then, you know, Dexter Lawrence, are they going to pick up his fifth year option? It's, it's something that they could invest in specifically if they do trade back and gain more assets. And there's some solid defensive tackles that will be available at that area of the draft. So I don't believe the giants have to go and invest anything in a Jordan Davis when they have someone like a Dexter Lawrence on the roster, despite the fact that Jordan Davis is a freak in nature. Yeah, exactly. And, I would hope they don't draft uh, Jordan Davis. Not for me. But let's say this. Let's move on to the next news, and that's the Giants swapping out guards. Uh, Will Hernandez has signed with the Arizona Cardinals, which I actually want to get to a little bit more in depth after we talk about the player the Giants actually signed. And the player the Giants actually signed was former Arizona Cardinal interior, interior offensive lineman Max Garcia. And I haven't had a chance to really break down any tape on Max Garcia. I did watch your breakdown on, on uh, Twitter that you put up, and I watched Bobby Skinner's breakdown for a little bit more context before we recorded. I think one thing that interests me the most about Garcia is he has a little bit more athleticism than I was expecting in space. You put up a good clip showing how he can move and on the uh, you know on some of those quick hitters and you know that's was a big part of the Arizona Cardinals offense under Cliff Kingsbury so he's asked to do it more but at the same time while I was watching it Nick I can only envision how Will Hernandez might be moving on play calls like that and I just you know the problem with Hernandez is as we said two off seasons ago when we were trying to figure out what the hell went wrong with this guy he's really boxy and he just does, he never found a way to move well in space and I think it's just going to be a nice breath of fresh air to have an interior offensive lineman like Garcia who can do a better job of moving in space. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, Garcia's six foot four, three hundred nine pounds. He's thirty years old, so he's a decent amount older than Will Hernandez. And in space, man, it was very deceptive. I went into that film and I was like, "Holy crap, man! This guy's really good at locating. He's very good at kind of tempoing his rush into contact at the second level on these screens, or when he does, you know, chip and climb. It's not like he's just running full speed. He'll tempo it and kind of keep the defender guessing, and then locate and explode through him. I was actually really impressed with his ability to do that. Now, in general. I think this is a good signing just be, just like all the other signings because it is inexpensive. It's a savvy veteran. It's someone who can play. He's functional. But this isn't a difference maker. This isn't someone who I feel like is going to be guaranteed a starting position. And I think there are still warts within his game. I'm about to drop a piece on Big Blue View if anybody wants to go and check it out. It's about two, a little bit more than 2,000 words with a bunch of gifts on all the plays that I'm kind of – collectively talking about right now he still kind of has the issues of popping out of his stance exposing his chest his anchor is a little questionable I feel like he wasn't asked to one-on-one block too often in the Cardinals offense because they're so quick hitting and there were so many times with the way teams and defenses played them in obvious passing situations that he had help he had a guard help or he had a center help and when he was one-on-one he would allow he would lunge a little bit too much and he would kind of give up one side of the shoulder, allowing for inside spins and counter moves to take advantage of him. And I have a bunch of plays in there. But overall, I do appreciate the signing because what the heck do we talk about? We want inexpensive veterans who can step onto this team and compete for a starting job. And I feel like Joe Shane did an excellent job bringing a bunch of these guys in. And in terms of Garcia, man, I think his best tape from last year was actually at center. So if Feliciano struggles in those first couple of weeks and Garcia gets beat out by Shane Lemieux or Ben Bredesen, now you can insert Garcia in at center. And I feel like he can hold his own in that position. Yeah. And Ben Bredesen, Shane Lemieux, or whoever they might draft in the, yeah. in the NFL draft, they might add immediate interior offensive line competition. So yeah, all that's good. And I think, again, it just goes back to what we've been saying this whole off season. We had a former GM who came in and said, the first thing I'm going to do, Dave Gettleman four years ago is fix the offensive line. He said a lot. He talked a big game, but he didn't back it up. Joe Shane said something pretty similar and is already backing it up. Now that doesn't mean we're celebrating these moves. Oh my God, Max Garcia, John Feliciano, Mark Lewinsky. But what it does mean is, a while ago, me and Nick said about four years ago or three years ago or whenever it was, the best way to approach the offensive line is to build it out by consistently providing competition and depth. Competition breeds better players and depth is insanely important when you have an offensive line that can fall into a situation like it did last season with the Giants where one, two injuries and bang. It's now the most incapable offensive line in football, which it wasn't, by the way. The Giants ranked 21st in pass protection, which often gets lost among Giants fans who just simply think Daniel Jones had it worse than any other quarterback. But the point is, it wasn't great and hasn't been good for a long time. And a big reason for that, in my mind, is the lack of competition. It's not just the high-end guys, because what have me and Nick said? Nick, what have we said this entire time about the offensive line? We are believers that... It's more about the weak link, not having those one, maybe two, or last season three on the Giants case, weakling than it is having the all-pro Tyron Smith or whatever types. And so the Giants can, by adding depth and by adding competition, give themselves a better chance of not having a weak link on that offensive line. 
And so I don't want to celebrate this move because honestly, I don't know if Max Garcia is going to be too much of an upgrade over someone like Will Hernandez, but I do think the process is good. And that's all that matters to me in the end, because the results are fickle in the NFL. It's tough to draft. It's tough to sign. It's in free agency. It's tough to field a winning roster. A lot of luck goes into it in my mind, but as long as you follow a sound process, then you're on the right track and you give yourself the best chance to have good results. So I'm definitely a fan of this move, Nick. And I want to talk a little bit about Will Hernandez, though, because Will Hernandez, 26 years old, Nick, a former top 34 pick on the interior offensive line. Keep in mind, when you draft an IOL in the top 35, there should be next to no bust rate at that position. Very few IOLs. I've been looking back at this recent drafts. Taking away injuries, like the guys who just had their careers sat by injuries, and then you know there's obviously occasional massive busts, like the the kid from Arizona a little while ago, who was that guard they drafted out of Florida, who was insanely athletic but just totally busted. Do you remember this guy at six overall? It was Jonathan Cooper and Chance Cooper. Warnack. Cooper, that that's the one. 2013. Yeah, yeah Cooper. Both the top ten picks, I think, and he was seventh from UNC, not Florida. Yep, Cooper. So, and and then the Falcons have some, but I'm talking just total busts. It's amazing to me that Will Hernandez is 26 years old, a former top 35 pick, and he gets a minimum salary deal. And the craziest thing about it is I saw some Arizona beat. I saw one Arizona beat uh, Arizona Cardinals beat reporter kind of celebrating the move as a high upside move. And I just felt like I was, I almost felt like I was reading an Alex Wilson tweet on the giants. Just, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was tough sledding. I mean, he put up a video of Will Hernandez doing the bench press at the combine. I mean, if you're digging back and throwing up combine bench press videos to celebrate a signing, and then he's throwing the giants under the bus, which is, I, I get it. Look, the giants have done a poor job developing anyone on their roster, let alone offensive linemen. And, you know, he is throwing Daniel Jones under the bus, which I thought was unfair because one of the only things Daniel Jones has done as in my mind has improved on tangibly, at least from a considerable standpoint, like there's obviously he's gotten a little bit better at post snap processing, a little bit better at pre snap processing. I actually think his ball placement has fallen off since his rookie season, but the one thing he's tangibly gotten better by, and there's actual results that back this up and statistics that back this up is avoiding sacks. And, you know, there's been good studies lately. Seth Walder's leading the way that, and I've always speculated this, Nick, I'm curious what your opinion on this is, but there's been good studies lately that, and again, Walder leading the way that show that, Sacks are not an offensive line stat only. Sacks are in a lot of ways a quarterback stat. Some quarterbacks take more sacks than others. And Daniel Jones has actually improved greatly from that. During his 2019 season, he was 25th in sack rate. And now in 2021, he was all the way up to 12th, uh, 12th in sack rate. And we talked about that every week almost, it felt like, on the film reviews when we did the All-22 Coaches reviews. We kept saying, look, Jones is doing a much better job of stepping up through the pocket to avoid pressure. And at times he still bailed, but either way, taking fewer sacks. So if you're going to use Daniel Jones as the excuse for Will Hernandez, that to me is just phony. Yeah, I, I think I left a comment on that uh, that tweet from whoever that was of just the guy eating popcorn. Like, oh, man, I'm just waiting to see what Giant fans say. And uh, lo and behold, I went through the comments and it was mostly Giant fans being like, bro, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> like, you can't use this dude's combine video of him bench pressing 225 pounds 36 times because you couldn't go and find quality tape. And I wish Will Hernandez the absolute best. And I know you do as well, Dan. But the guy just did not work out here in New York. He was a massive, colossal bust. We made every excuse there was possible for that man. And some of them were warranted excuses. 2018 was good film. And since then, it's just been all downhill. And there's just no other way to really quantify his time here in New York. Yeah, and I'm curious if he can bounce back there because to me – on paper, Arizona doesn't feel like a good fit for him because they like to do a lot of stuff in space. They like to do a lot of the quick hitting stuff. And they even said, like Cliff Kingsbury kind of said, like we want to try to evolve the Rondell Moore role into the Debo Samuel role. I just don't think that fits what Will Hernandez does well. I don't know what Will Hernandez does well at this point, but moving in space is certainly one of his bigger weaknesses in my mind, in addition to obviously just not having the mental IQ to process stunts, which is just amazing this deep into his career and I'm not trying to take a shot at him, but it's the reality. I mean, that was still an issue for him on tape as recently as the 2021 season. So I wish him the best, but 
I, I, I'm kind of fine with the Giants moving on from him, even for a player as old as Max Garcia, like 30. Like on paper, you're looking at it like, wow, the Giants are a rebuilding team and they're kind of in some ways opting to go for a 30 year old over a 26 year old for the same cost. But that just goes to show you one, he's not well liked within the building. Two, Shane and Dable obviously didn't love his tape and Brian Johnson and Johnson obviously didn't love his tape. And this is it for him. The end of the road with the Giants. It's a, it's a tough end. The 2018 class is whittling down as we speak. Lorenzo Carter signed with another team. Will Hernandez signed with another team. Kyle Oletta was a total wasted draft pick. RJ, uh, RJ McIntosh, a total wasted draft pick for the most part. And there's one guy left, Saquon Barkley. Just truly amazing. You had the number two overall pick. And they also, by the way, in that draft, used a third-round pick, which I guess ended ultimately being the next draft class, on Sam Beal, another player who's off the roster. So just it's just crazy to have that kind of return on a draft. But we're not here to talk about that, Nick. No, but we should talk about one more addition before we get into some of these prospects we want to mention. And that is Richie James was added to the roster. This is a... I would say an electric type of returner more so than an accomplished wide receiver, although he was pretty accomplished. And in college, he went to Middle Tennessee. I remember when he was drafted in 2018, I had a lot of friends who really studied the wide receiver class when we were doing the inside the pylon draft guide that year who thought he was going to be like a fourth and fifth round pick and he fell to the seventh round. But it just speaks to his overall athletic ability and the potential that he does have. Now, this is a smaller dude. I don't expect him to really do much on offense outside of being a kick returner. But heck, why not bring in somebody to be an actual kick returner now that Jabril Peppers is not here, now that Dante Pettis has left? So, I mean, I'm not going to hate the move. Who knows? He might not even crack the roster. It's kind of that type of addition. Yeah, exactly. And they need to kind of start to replenish the special teams. Obviously, we're not saying this in jest because the special teams thing was a huge thing with Joe Judge, oftentimes sacrificing potential, you know, starters in Trey Smith's case in the draft for special teams type guys. And it's not just starters like Trey Smith. I mean, there were several running backs that were worthy of that pick over um, the kid they took from Arizona. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, for some reason, I'm, I'm blanking on, which is never a good sign about a draft pick. But look. They need to replenish. They lost Crossan as well on special teams. So I'm okay with the special teams first signing. That's obviously not going to move the needle much, but you know maybe they found something electric that can help them in the return game, like you said. And if you also think of it too, think about the last two years with the Giants wide receiver position and all the injuries that they've kind of had. How many times you've had to see the Damian Ratleys and the Austin Max and these kind of, I would say, relatively unproven pieces be forced into action. At least Richie James has had over 20 receptions in a season back in 2020, but he was battling an injury last year that held him out for the entire 2021 season. He's still 26 years old, so he can step in and play in a pinch. He doesn't have the same upside as someone maybe like a John Ross, but still somebody who can play in a pinch. Yep. All right, before we get to the Andrew Booth profile, I want to talk a little bit about another player in this draft gaining a lot of buzz after his pro day today. And that's Trey McBride, the tight end out of Colorado State. A lot of people now moving in, into their tight end one ranks. I've seen a lot of people talk about how they want the Giants to draft him, specifically at 36 overall when the Giants are on the board at the top of day two. He ran, according to Jim Nagy, who again runs the Senior Bowl and has, you know, is very let's say fluffy when it comes to his praise of the players that come to him with the senior bowl. That's a nice way to say it. Um, he said he ran a four, five, three between four, five, three and a four, five, six range on multiple scouts, uh, stopwatches at today's pro day. I've watched two games of Trey McBride now on tape this morning. I watched it after seeing the buzz. I personally, Nick, I haven't decided who my tight end one is in this draft. And he may even ultimately end up being that guy because it's not a top-heavy class at tight end. It's a depth-based class at tight end. But I can say with certainty, Nick, that I have zero interest in the Giants selecting McBride at number 36 overall. And to be quite frankly honest with you, I think there's going to be a handful of players I'd rather have when they select in round three. I don't know if he's going to make it down there, given kind of like past tight end ones where they go. Even Cole Komet kind of made it into that day two mix, uh, early day two mix, early-ish day two mix. But again, with McBride, I don't see the four five three four five six speed on film. I thought he was incredibly lumbering on tape. 
thought he did a good job working his way up the seam, and he does have some advanced route running, like nuances. It's really the best way to describe it, I thought, was nuances, because he does some really interesting things with his route running that I think are immediately translatable, kind of thinking in that, like, Zach Ertz type of way. And some people I know have compared him to Dallas Goddard, which I don't see at all, by the way. I think Goddard is a much more athletic tight end prospect than McBride is. But, man, oh, man, I mean, you watch that tape, and he should be much faster going against the competition that he went at at Colorado State. And I thought I saw a lumbering player who looks nothing like a 4-5-3 athlete on tape. I've watched only one game of Traylon Burks, but it's a receiver I want to get to more. He ran a 4-5-5 at the Combine. I know the Combine and the Pro Days are different because the Pro Days are inflated. But those guys look nothing alike from a speed standpoint on tape. Like, McBride is nowhere near as fast on actual NFL field rather than the time bullshit in the actual NFL field than Traylon Burks, and yet they have similar 40 times. So I don't know, man. I, I know he's not a great blocker either from everything I've read and from what I've seen briefly. So you're getting a guy mostly for his receiving skills who has the frame or close to the frame, I guess. He's six foot three and a half, 245. It's not even like the most ideal frame ever. You want to be six foot five like in my mind to be like in that range. To me, he's kind of shaping up as like a poor man's Tyler Higby, who can't, but a worse blocking version of Tyler Higby. I don't know, man. I, I, am I missing something here? What have you seen watching Trey McBride? Can I ask you what games you watched? The two I saw were his Colorado and Boise State games. I also watched a couple just clips up of him that I found online. One versus Iowa, not the full game. And then another one versus, I think, Toledo. I'm looking it up now. Yeah, Toledo. So two full games, but you know, for me, it's uh, for me, it's just a traits-based thing with McBride. I'm curious though to get your take. I like Trey McBride. I see where you're coming from. There's not a dynamic athlete there. I'd be surprised if he actually ran a four-five something. I don't see that on tape. Although I don't think he is incredibly deficient. I think he's functional enough as an athlete to have success in the NFL. As a blocker, I also think think he is functional enough. But that Iowa film was a little bit concerning in in 2021 he struggled a lot with blocking in there but it it's hard to find a true blocking type of tight end those things they're they exist but it, it's not something that is unanimous even someone like jeremy rucker who i would consider a good blocking tight end you watch certain film of him and you're right. like oh man this guy is leaning way too much and he's exploitable and all of that in terms of mcbride I think you nailed it pretty well with the route running. I love the nuance that he does show. He really, really understands how to find the voids in zone coverage, when to go hot, when to present a target to his quarterback. And I think he's excellent over the middle of the field, which is something that you saw just time and time again. There was a shot that he took against Hawaii. It was in the third quarter, 113 left, where he just ran a quick little in route and the throw was high. He extended away from his frame and he doesn't have the biggest catch radius. It's pretty modest. I wish he was a little larger, to be honest, but he extended away from his frame and then just took this shot like right at the hip level and just brushed it off and then just continued to pick up 10 yards with guys kind of climbing all over his back. It wasn't quite Mark Bavaro, but it was a pretty impressive catch over the middle of the field. I also think he shows really, really good body control and adjustment. There were several times throughout the film that I've seen of him where there was a pass that was a little bit underthrown. It got tipped in the air. And then while he's falling backwards, he ends up locating the ball and snatching it. So I really appreciate his hands, his ability to concentrate, and his ability to make those contested catches. But I also think he's making a lot of contested catches because he's not creating natural separation with his athletic ability. Although I will say this, Dan, he creates good separation with those nuances that we spoke of with his precise footwork when releasing off the line of scrimmage and his ability to accelerate out of breaks, which I felt like was pretty solid. He also uses that pretty nice flipper move and a little solid, you know, subtle push off at the top of breaks to kind of give himself that little extra edge, which I feel like a lot of good tight ends do. As long as you don't fully extend and make it very apparent, it's usually not flagged. Yeah, and I want to make it clear, I don't hate McBride by any means. I just hate the idea of taking him at 36 overall. I don't think he's anywhere close to one of the 36 best prospects in this class. And I'd be more open to the idea of taking him with with the third-round pick, especially their second third-round pick, just as kind of a lotto-type pick, because he does have a lot of the traits that I look for in receivers. And I'm considering him receiver, like whatever he can give them as a blocker. He is a willing blocker, but so is Evan Ingram. And I'm not saying he's the same. He obviously has a better frame for a blocker, but... At right now, there's still a long way to go there. But he has the traits I like in a receiver. That's what you mentioned. 
It's one, the footwork, the quick feet. It's two, the body control. I think his body control and his ability to adjust in air and in general to passes that are thrown off target is excellent. You brought up a great point. And that to me is one of the best traits in a receiver. And then the third one, which is also incredibly important to me is hands. He had 76 percentile hand size at the combine and you could see it on the tape. So he has all those things that I like, but I look at McBride and I think he's being a little bit inflated. His stock is being a little bit inflated by his high usage role, which came again against nobody. So he's never going to fit match up against the NFL playing in Colorado state. And two, the fact that he played against that competition kind of, in my mind at least, hid what I see as a lumbering athlete. He's nothing in open space. He's an absolute nothing. He's not someone who's going to make a juke move. He occasionally will break a tackle with his strength. I saw that on tape a good amount. But again, it's against these small guys who are playing at the Toledo, the Toledos of the world, and all these teams that you know he's matching up against, Boise State. Like These aren't players... These aren't defenders who are going to make it to the NFL. And so if he has some strength that he shows on tape in that regard, I don't know how it translates. And I just worry about a player who dominated in a high usage role against competition he's not going to face. And to me, at least, looked pretty lumbering on his film. So I just I would never take him at 36 overall. I think there's just a lot of value that will be available there that I would want and I think would benefit the New York Giants. But I think there is a question that could be asked if you want your pick at the top tight end and your top tight end pick happens to be Trey McBride. Do you kind of get ahead of the curve and make that selection at 36? I think there could be a debate there. I think it would be a reach. And I do believe there are a lot of other tight ends that that I also appreciate who are also, you know, not maybe the best blockers, but are much better athletes than someone like a Trey McBride. Most you know prominent in my mind would be Isaiah Likely. So that's kind of where I lean. I think that's probably a podcast that we could do when we do our tight end review. I think it's yeah. a really interesting thought exercise to go over. I'm definitely, I feel like I'm getting the vibe that I'm higher on Trey McBride than you are, but I see where you're coming from because the Giants need a lot. And at pick 36, there's going to be a lot of players that I'm going to have higher than Trey McBride. But I don't think it is the worst decision in the world if they go in that direction. I would probably just be a little upset because they would pass on, say, if like a Boye Mafe was around or someone like that, which I think he's going to be a first round pick because he's a freak athlete anyways. Sorry. Yeah, but if, exactly. If there's some players like that, like a Nicobe Dean who's still around, which you know used to be this unanimous first round pick, but is now falling a little bit. You know, like players like that, you know, if they Jaquan Brisker or Daxton Hill or any of those safeties, Lewis Sign are still around. That's kind of where I'm at because I would have higher grades on those players than I would on Trey McBride. But I think if Trey McBride gets drafted by the Giants, this is somebody who is going to be that chain mover, you know, that Dalton Schultz. Now, Schultz was a fourth round pick, I believe, for the Dallas Cowboys. So you could say, well, you know, where's the value there? But if Dalton Schultz was in this draft, would he be a fourth round pick? I don't know, because he really developed well since he got to the NFL. So I think it's an interesting way to kind of view this tight end discussion. But I, I see where you're coming from with the lack of dynamic athletic ability and the lack of elite blocking prowess. Yeah. And I think in general, when it comes to this, obviously, mostly this thirst for tight end because it's such a scarce position, I don't think it should move up players. I think, again, best player available is the best way to feel the roster long term. At some point, you just have to say, look, we can't figure out tight end is a tough decision to figure out. That doesn't mean we should reach for it. And, you know, there's going to be a slew. You mentioned it of a combination of edges off-ball linebackers now. Nicobe Dean, we're, we're going to get to it at some point. I'm not I'm not nearly as high in Nicobe Dean as it sounds like you are. I actually no, I'm actually not that high like I'm him and Devin Lloyd I'm not super high on. I think yeah. Devin Lloyd though is like this this I, everything I've heard about him is he's just like an insatiable leader and mm -hmm. he's he, you know he has that Daniel Jones trait. So I think he can really develop into something special but when he was being mocked at to like 5 and 7 at the Giants I thought that was kind of a joke. Yeah, I've just kind of reassessed my opinion on these style of backers after falling for the Patrick Queen trap, which is what I call it. I was super high on Patrick Queen. I thought he was going to be a difference maker. I thought teams should be drafting him. I thought he was one of the maybe 15 best prospects in that class and just a total bust within the Wink Martindale defense. And I almost get somewhat Patrick Queen vibes from the Kobe Dean. I'm not saying they're the same players, but somewhat similar situations. And the Kobe Dean played behind an even better defensive line there at Georgia. Like there was a lot, like, I just don't know how that translates. I also have already seen this type of backer fail within Wink Martindale's defense. I don't think I want to use 36 at all on him, even if he falls quote unquote to that pick. 
Um, and again, a lot of people thought he fell, quote unquote, to the Ravens. We're talking about Patrick Queen in that draft, me being one of them. And I was dead wrong. It ended up not only being not a value pick, it was a bust pick. And there were a lot of better players, a lot of better positions. But just putting aside the off-ball linebackers, I'd rather have the McBride there, the corners, because I think it's insanely deep at corner in that range. We're going to talk about one today who might fall just based on the injury, but otherwise I thought should have been on the Giants' radar at 36. The safeties you mentioned, the edges. That's four positions right there that that I think there's going to be better players at. And to be quite honest with you, Nick, considering the fact that McBride is one, not a proven blocker by any means already. And I don't know how much better he's going to get there. And two, not a good athlete in the open field. Chain mover, you mentioned, like that's kind of his ceiling. I'm not looking for a chain moving style of offense. Like there's going to be a slew of receivers that I would take over McBride at 36 overall. Yeah, receiver. The Giants can need a receiver as soon as potentially next year if they move on from Kenny Galladay, depending on what they do about that. But regardless, even if they didn't need a receiver, I'd rather have an explosive playmaking receiver option than a Trey McBride. So I just, I know there's a thirst for tight ends, but I'd rather get mine on day three. And I don't think it is an unreasonable way to view this situation. I think I have more hope for him as a blocker, but I also, like I said earlier, don't think that those are prevalent. Those Mercedes Lewis types of blockers aren't just really coming into the NFL these days. Again, a lot of positions the Giants need, a lot of value that will be available at 36. And if the Giants trade back and acquire more second round picks, would you be open towards the discussion of a Trey McBride or one of the tight ends? Or would you still think there'd be more value, say, if they were picking at like, you know, 60? Yeah, I just again, I just I'd have to look at the draft board, Nick, as it unfolds. But just based on my evaluation of the 50 best prospects that I've that I've looked at so far, I just don't see myself coming around to McBride over one of those positions I already talked about, including wide receiver, 100 percent, including wide receiver, because, again, a good dynamic wide receiver can do a lot more for this offense than a chain mover. And honestly, I feel like that's like his best case scenario. I do like those traits. He has the traits uh, that you brought up and I do like, but I really worry about his transition to the NFL. I've had, I've had these, you know, like a chart, like a Kolar or a Kate Otten. You're going to be able to get those guys, uh, especially Kolar, who I love. You're going to be able to get those guys maybe 90 picks later than a McBride or than the second round range, right? Like round four, maybe, maybe even round five. I just can't get myself to come around to the possibility of any chance you're going to get an edge or a corner or an off ball linebacker in that range that in that fifth round range, that's going to be less of a drop off than the one you're going to get in that second round range versus the drop off from Trey McBride to those guys. Okay. Yeah. I think that's an interesting discussion for sure. And again, deep tight end draft with the guys like you brought up Charlie Kolar from Iowa state. And then you also have, like I said, Isaiah Likely, Coastal Carolina, we talk a lot about Greg Dolchik. I think he's probably going to be selected around that same time as Trey McBride. Kate Otten, somebody I haven't watched yet. That's the one from Washington. I've heard good things about his blocking. And then there's also your guy, Jake Ferguson, heard good things about his blocking. And then the quiet guy that we'll be talking about in the future is Jelani Woods from Virginia. Haven't watched yeah. his movie yet, but all I've heard is rave reviews about him skyrocketing up the boards. Yeah, and like Woods, I really like his upside and his projection. Like that's another player who I just I don't know, man. McBride is just not for me. I don't think I thought I was gonna like him when I watched his film because I read a lot of good stuff about him and I saw the buzz happening. And I just started watching him and I just didn't get it whatsoever. So we'll see what happens there when it comes to the Giants in the tight end position. But let's talk a little bit about Andrew Booth, the cornerback prospect out of Clemson. And I saw that you did a draft profile on him, and I was really excited because I really liked. Andrew Booth. And then we talked about the fact that he's undergoing surgery. I believe you said it was similar to the Aaron Robinson injury. And we know that kind of in some ways derailed Aaron Robinson's rookie season. But again, these draft picks are long-term. So if this is the type of thing that causes him to fall into the top of that round three range, I think that could be an unbelievable type value pick for the Giants, especially on a roster that might have James Bradbury and might not need him. And obviously Aaron Robinson returning and might not need him to play an immediate role and can kind of ease him in. Because when I watched Booth, man, I saw a player who has the profile that I think can fit very well with what Wink Martindale wants to do on defense. Most importantly for me with Booth is his length. I love the fact that he brings that six-foot frame into the mix. A former five-star recruit. Uh, Obviously, some people have compared him in some ways to a highly athletic player who I'm not so sure I see the comparison. I'm curious if you do. Vontae Davis. 
the former kind of super athletic corner brother of Vernon Davis, who had some good years in the NFL. But I just feel like Booth can translate to any style of defense with his length and his kind of recoverability. I think he has really good feet, which I thought was interesting that you saw. He's also strong. It's not just a lengthy frame. He's strong. But that doesn't always show up, obviously, within his tackling. That was a big issue for Booth. Yeah, I believe, according to Pro Football Focus, a 21.8% career missed tackle rate. Now, I'm not so sure I want to bank too much on that. I'm not really looking at that as much when I'm looking at corners, though I know it's important. I really want those lengthy guys who can hold up potentially in man coverage. And I think that this is a this is a player who has a lot of upside in the NFL from a projection standpoint. He has all the tools that I look for, and with, with the exception of maybe deep speed, and he didn't test at the combine. I know, obviously, he's injured, but I would be curious to see his deep speed. Uh, but, you know, you've seen guys make a living at that position without necessarily the even in man coverage, without necessarily the elite four, three, four, four, 40 yard dash speed at the corner position. I want to get your take on Booth. Talk about some of his strengths, his weaknesses. And if you believe he can kind of be that transcendent corner at the next level, can hold up on an island in man. So he played at Clemson. Clemson runs a lot of zone type of coverages, but when he was tasked to play man coverage, he looked pretty good. In my opinion, he has fluid hips. He can turn outside, turn inside at the line of scrimmage. I felt like his press technique was solid enough and it could be developed a little bit more, but it wasn't something he was asked to do all that often because Clemson ran a lot of those zone type of concepts. In terms of his run support, man, I get that he had those missed tackles. That doesn't bother me all that much, though, because when you watch his tape, there are times where opposing offenses were trying to run, you know, fast threes or fast fours towards his side, and he would diagnose it so quickly and come downhill and just absolutely annihilate that player. And it was usually on like a third and two. He would get like a tackle for a loss in those situations. I think he really understands offensive route concepts and is a very, very smart player. There were a couple times, I don't have the timestamps on him, but there were a couple plays where he was put in a conflict with a smash concept. So he either had to bite down on the little flat route or he had to sink to the seven route. And guess what he did? He played that flat route well enough and then gained enough depth and used that length to close the throwing window off to where the quarterback wasn't comfortable with either throw. And I just feel like he's very, very decisive. He plays with good body control, which kind of leads to what we were talking about, about his ability in man coverage. And then he showed the ability to high point the football and position his body well when he did intercept passes, which he didn't have a ton of interceptions in college. He had five. He had three last year. He had two in 2020. But a lot of people weren't targeting him all that often. They were going and targeting Mario Goodrich, who was another really, really good player, just not as good as Andrew Booth Jr. I appreciate the physicality. I appreciate the the ability to read coverage. I appreciate the click and close downhill. So that leads all to his ability to play zone. And then I appreciate the amount of man coverage that I did see of him, how effective he was staying in phase and sticking to the receiver. So I, I like Andrew Booth Jr. The core muscle surgery that may drop him to 36. I still doubt it because he could be available for the season. And I think he'll probably be selected by a good football team somewhere in the twenties. Yeah. You think he's going to go in the twenties, even with the injury? I think he could. I, I do. Cause I, he's it, a lot of teams are looking for corners who can hold up in man against these quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and, and Josh Allen and all the top quarterbacks in the league. And you look at the corners, Derek Stingley Jr. Has his injury concerns. You have sauce. Who's kind of like a consensus. Number one, Trent McDuffie has rose up the boards. He played a lot of zone in Washington, but he's a smart corner. Washington always has good defense. Kair Elam's not as fluid as an Andrew Booth Jr. That's the cornerback in Florida. Roger McCreary might be better than Andrew Booth Jr. in man coverage, but the guy has like 28-inch arms, which teams right. are going to knock him for. So I think Andrew Booth could, could slip to the back end of the first round still despite the injury. And it's interesting you mentioned uh, Kair Elam, who I want to look at more because he's kind of has like that incredible length. He's like six foot two and he's super physical, but, you know, he racked up penalties. And like you said, he doesn't look as naturally fluid as Booth. I think Booth, like you said, the hips, the feet, man, if you watch him, like if you just focus on his feet and how they move, it looks so smooth. And it looks like somebody who in my mind can project to the next level. I think according to pro football focus, Booth allowed 29 catches on 46 targets last year for 312 yards, which is pretty good. Solid numbers. It was his first full year as a starter, though, despite being a 
five-star, former five-star recruit. He's a little bit older as a prospect, not too old, but 20, uh, you know, 21 and a half years old. So again, we don't have the tested speed. I do have some concerns about his long speed there, but ultimately I feel like he's a really nice projection type player prospect who Wink Martindale might want to get his hands on and try to mold. Yeah, and I think he would probably mesh well here. There was this play against Wake Forest. It was in the third quarter, 8-17, a third and 11. And they're in the red zone, Wake Forest. Booth is in press. He doesn't jam him or anything, but he just goes right into his back pedal and he stays square to the receiver until the receiver gives him the opportunity to flip his hips. He's very, very disciplined in that manner. At least on this play, he really was. And the receiver kind of ran a fade right at the numbers, angled it outside, and Booth just stuck right towards his inside hip and flipped his head around while maintaining contact and then jumped high to just knock the ball away. That is really, really good technique against another ACC opponent in Wake Forest. And it wasn't just one of those things that was zone coverage. So I, uh, I appreciate that play about Booth. And there were others that were similar to that when he was asked to do so. It's just Clemson didn't ask him to do it as often as other defenses would have. Yeah. And so you talked about potentially in, in the top 20. I think he could be there at 36. I think with the injury, honestly, Nick, there's a chance he could fall all the way to round three because what you mentioned and what we've talked about and what we'll talk about as we move on, there really are a lot of corners who I like in this range. You talked about Booth. Um, it's not just, I'm sorry, you talked about Elam. It's not just corners. A lot of just defensive backs who are intriguing in this range. Jalen Petrie, I don't know if you've had a chance to to watch him or, or hear if you've heard about him from Baylor. I feel like he is obviously uh, an interesting player who's going to be considered in this range as well. And as you look at all these potential corners in this range, I think it might, it might push down a player like Booth who before the injury could be viewed as like above them maybe or slightly above them in a tier and now might be viewed as somebody who continues to free fall until someone's willing to take a pick and say look we can wait a little bit at this position we don't have to get a corner right away who steps right in we can wait we have the guys in place like the giants do in my mind already on this roster corners like they're only somewhat deep position it's not even that deep but with robinson in the hope that he'll kind of translate to the next level this year and be that guy who takes a big step for them it's probably their deepest position would you say I would probably say that. I mean, defensive line, I think, would probably be yeah. the one that gets them to run for the money. And, and Petrie is listed as a safety, but he's one of those safeties where Dave Aranda would play him as the overhang defender. So he's kind of like a slob. He's somebody that you can just plug really anywhere, and he's going to be able to execute. He's one of those low-key guys that if you can land on day two, it's not going to be like super sexy, but I think he's going to step into your defense and just be a better version of like a Julian Love to where he can yeah. do so many different things for your defense kind of be a little bit underappreciated but when you watch the film you're like damn man petrie's freaking everywhere because that guy can come down run you know he can run into any alley he's very very physical and run sports despite the fact that he's not that big i really liked his game when i went over dave aranda's defense earlier in the offseason yeah like he's awesome i really like him too just i, I always love aranda's defense aranda's the former defensive coordinator for the badgers has a similar approach and mindset to Jim Leonard, the current defensive coordinator for the yeah. Giants, and in a lot of ways, Wink Martindale. They're all cut from the same cloth when it comes to their mindset on defense, which is attack, 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 always be aggressive, dictate things to your opposing offense. And I feel like Petra is a guy who, in some ways, can kind of maybe have that rise and immediate impact that um, the kid from Jeremy Chin from the Panthers had, and in now last season, the kid from uh, Eb, or not Eb, uh, the Patriots kid, D Duggar, know, who yeah. had a great second season with the Patriots. Both those guys are a little bit more physical than Petrie is. True. But I know, yeah, I know what you're True. getting at. It's a good point. They're definitely more physical. And the thing with Petrie is, like, as far as his fit with the Giants goes versus a guy like Booth, like Booth, I can translate to competing for and maybe immediately becoming a boundary outside cornerback for the Giants that they can rely on. Petrie, I feel like, is probably best off as that slot corner for the Giants if, if he's going to move to corner, if they're going to draft him as a corner. Or like you said, that Julian Love role. Um, and then, and I know the Giants are going to run a lot of three safety stuff, or they're going to at least want to if they have the personnel to with wink martindale so in my mind he will be on their radar but i don't ultimately don't know if i view him as the same type of prospect as a booth who we're talking about in this one because i just think booth has a little bit more upside in that unique role and even like aaron robinson who's already on the roster i almost th think he's better off in the slot yeah aaron robinson is interesting man and that's a whole discussion we can have because he has tape in college where he looked really really good outside and he's one of those press corners who is not going to shy away who is physical I, I love adding players like i think that was a good pick in the third round somebody who 
can step into this defense and just wear a bunch of different hats. And he's not necessarily scheme specific. He can go into many different defenses and he's versatile enough to execute several different roles similar to Andrew Booth. Yeah. And the good thing with Robinson is which people aren't, I don't know if people are discussing enough is he's going to have a full off season. He's not going to have to play his rookie, his second year off of core surgery, like off that core muscle surgery. Like he's going to be so much healthier and he's going to be at such a bad place when training camp arrives. And even coming off that surgery, losing that all that time in the off season, losing all that training, getting a little bit out of shape as you would coming off a of surgery and losing all the mental reps that he lost. He still showed some really interesting flashes when he finally got his chance as a rookie with the Giants. Like you said, even on the outside, he showed some interesting man coverage type flashes where you're like, whoa, this guy just gets it. He has a really good feel for the field, which I almost kind of felt like when I was watching Booth, like this guy just gets it. He has a really good feel and coverage, which is kind of why I like him a lot. Um, yeah, but there was this uh, play against South Carolina State that speaks to exactly what you were saying. This is a it was, I think, a third and 11 in the first quarter. And Andrew Booth is it's a three by one set and he has to midpoint the one in the two. So he's playing a deep half, I believe, because it ended up being like a Tampa two type of look. So he's midpointing the one and two both go vertical. So he's kind of in conflict there. And then the quarterback decides to throw to the number two receiver up the seam kind of just before he crosses into the path of that middle of the field defender who's playing the deep, you know, Tampa two position and Booth closes with on the number two receiver and just plays right through the catch point to force an incompletion. It's just very, very decisive. It's very quick. And he has that ability to handle multiple different responsibilities and be heady enough to, to know what the quarterback's intentions are based on the route concepts that he's seeing and the coverage that he knows his defense is in. Yeah, man. I, I really like Andrew Booth. I'm glad you did a profile on him because I wanted to talk about him. And I think, look, the injury is going to have him. I You always see these free falls. I think the injury will have him fall. In general, D-backs, which like you said, I love the Aaron Robinson pick at the time. A lot of people have kind of hindsighted it and been against it. Why do we need another corner? Blah, blah, blah. I think he's going to show out in season two, and I think he's going to ultimately be one of the better value picks of the Dave Gettleman era. I at least hope so, and I really feel, and obviously that's not a high bar to set. There's almost next to nothing to come out of the Dave Gettleman era so far, but with the exception of, like, obviously Xavier McKinney and the, the guys they drafted high. But this could be their first value pick. I think that really hits. Julian Love might be in that mix as well, um, but I think he can be an even better player, like that next-tier level corner that can actually hold up. And, man, you can't really – I don't really think you can – put Julian Love out on a boundary unless it's zoned. So, you know, Andrew Booth, I really like it, the potential of him falling and the Giants saying, look, we can afford to take a player like this who might not start the season, but ultimately will be an impact player for us if we can mold him into, you know, the type of ups, if he can fulfill the upside that he has. Yeah, that's if he falls, of course. But that would be uh that would that would be a nice steal. And this is, let's be honest, this is a longer rebuild. This isn't something where we're expecting to step in and win the division. We're not gonna win the NFC East more than likely this year unless everything clicks for us and everything kind of goes against our opponents. So, you know, no, I do think guy, the NFC East is trash this year. So oh, it's, it's it's is it the worst division? Because it's definitely in the conversation. I don't think the Cowboys are that good, and I think they're gonna have a big fall off on defense, to be completely honest. And I think that something is going on weird with that passing offense and with Dak and the offensive line right now. Very odd. It hasn't looked as good as it should. Maybe that just means Dak needed a year removed from that surgery to kind of get his confidence back. But some of the things that I saw on the 2021 film of Dak versus the 2020 film of Dak before the injury in the 2019 film specifically, where I thought he took his biggest jump as a passer. I'm just not seeing as often anymore. Like he was doing such an excellent job of the Brady breeze post snap processing in 2019 and and then before the injury at times in 2020 really at all times 2020 before the injury and then 2021 comes and i just wasn't seeing that same level i think part of that is he didn't have as much trust in his offensive line it's not the same as it was but i'm not so sure that offensive line is going to get any better after losing lel collins with tyron smith getting older and injured every season even with zach martin a player like him getting older and injuries in the past then losing connor williams too from that offensive line in addition to Al Collins. So like, yeah, they can draft some guys to replace them, but these guys don't always step in right away as rookies and play good football. So I don't know how good Dallas is. I don't really think Washington's very good at all. And Philly is good. They're probably in my mind, like <laughs> the next best thing, I guess in the NFC East, but even there, it's like, do we really trust Jalen hurts? I think it's a good discussion. Certainly. 
And uh, no, I, I don't trust Jalen Hurts. I think Philadelphia is probably going to be underrated. I think Washington could be underrated, but I totally and completely agree with you about Dallas, especially with Mike McCarthy as their head coach. I can yeah. see that yeah. ship sinking. And that's the only team that really has upside and talent in the division. So who knows? We'll see what happens. Anything else on Andrew Booth before we turn the page? A couple of things I just wanted to bring up, just yeah. I guess because we wax poetic about him, but I have a couple. I don't think they're huge deals with with Andrew Booth, but I think when he is at the line of scrimmage and he does actually jam when he is in a press alignment, because like we always say, press is an alignment, jam is an action. I feel like he can overextend himself, which that wasn't something that was used against him at the college level, but in the NFL with the diverse release packages that these wide receivers possess, that could be something that might need to be refined and cleaned up a little bit. And I also felt like his transitions when his momentum was full and he was basically square to the sideline. So if there was nobody, if there was no one helping him over top, he's outside the divider. I felt like he was beat a couple times on deep comebacks. So that's one other thing that I felt like I should bring up. And then the missed tackles. I love the physicality. I like him in run support, but there were times where he was a little bit reckless and would just throw his body at the target and missed. That can also be cleaned up a little bit. Other than those things, I think this is a well-rounded prospect and he's going to make a secondary coach very happy. Yeah, he will. And I would agree with you on both of those things. The first, though, being the, the, the one that's more concerning to me, and that's the deep speed holding up at the next level and that ability to kind of be a vertical route eraser which you kind of yeah. see from Dory Jackson on his film, which I didn't see as much from Booth. That scares me a little bit more than the tackling because I feel like the tackling aspect can be coached a lot easier. Uh, it's not a guarantee that you can coach someone up to be a better tackler, but it definitely feels like something that's more capable or at least possible. Yeah, but this is somebody who has like, he, he has the hips to transition. He has the feet to transition. It's just sometimes the transitioning in those certain situations on those deep comeback routes when he's playing over the top of it because he doesn't have help over the top. It, it, it just, there was a little bit of a, a window there for the quarterback to find the wide receiver. But the deep speed thing, that could also be a, a scheme thing because he wasn't asked too right. often play those responsibilities because I didn't watch his film and come away thinking this guy is a slow player no not at all he's a super athletic player and he and he's really good at breaking on routes so I, I like Booth I'm really intrigued by him he, he's an example of someone I would never take Trey McBride or I would never take uh Trey McBride over Andrew Booth just never I just couldn't look myself in the mirror and do it I'm just this is just me I know there's a thirst for tight end again I'm on that thirst I get it but for me, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for a two-way guy, and then I'll go crazy about it. You find me a two-way tight end prospect like a Gronk, and I'll go crazy for him. I'll just tell you whatever we want. I mean, some people thought TJ Hawkinson was that guy, by the way, but I don't want to use a top 10 pick even on that. You know what I mean? Like, even when you get a TJ Hawkinson, what has he actually done at the NFL level? Has he really impacted that Detroit Lions team on a massive basis? He's a middling receiving option, and, and he's a, not, hasn't even been an elite blocker at the NFL level. He was good at Iowa. He has not been. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think you have the thirst, bro. You're just parched right now. I'm just parched. We all are parched for tight ends or the Giants. It's been a while since Kevin Boss was on this roster, and it's too bad Kevin Boss got those concussions because Kevin Boss was going to have like a not – I don't want to say Hall of Fame. That was the stupidest thing I almost ever said. But like a Hall of Giants type of – like a Ring of Honor Giants. Not Ring of Honor. That's another ridiculous thing. <laughs> he was going to be like, I'm trying to think of a good comparison for what type of player I'm talking about. That's not obviously a ring of honor. Um, maybe like a, uh, who is that defensive lineman? They had defensive tackle. I love Keith Hamilton. Maybe I'm like a Keith, about to say Keith Hamilton. Oh yeah. <laughs> maybe like a hammer, like a Keith Hamilton type of career with the Giants. Man, was boss good because the thing with boss is everybody loves what he did as a receiver. Boss was a freaking hell of a blocker. He was such a good blocker. And that meant so much to those specific rosters, how they were crafted. But in general, if you can find those two way guys there, there's like none of them. I'm looking around the NFL. There's very few, even like you bring up Mercedes Lewis. Mercedes Lewis is not a two way player. He's basically just a blocker. Like he's not even a two way guy. He's okay, I guess. In the passing game, most people would call him well below average in that regard throughout his career. So, and he was a first round pick, by the way. So, so yeah, I, I I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting, and I, until then, I'll just take my chances on day three. And that just speaks to how amazing Gronk is, to be honest with you. I know, I know, it really does. And Kittle, for that same matter. Yeah, um, fifth rounder. What a what a steal. 
for the 40. But again, though, and this, this is a whole nother podcast. I know we're about to get out of here, but you can look at these injured players in this draft and then draft them before other teams will in the hopes that you're going to find the George Kittles and the Rob Gronkowski's and players like that. Cause both of those guys fell because they were injured specifically Rob Gronkowski. He had a bunch of back issues and everything at Arizona, but with Kittle, he didn't have the tape to substantiate how good he was because he spent a lot of time injured and he played in Iowa's old ass system. Yes, exactly. You nailed it. Yep. All right. That's all we have for today. Thank you for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. Stay tuned with us. It's going to be a busy draft season. We're excited to get there. And then a busy draft weekend. Obviously, that's where some of our best content comes from as well, if I do say so myself. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.